All right, last, night, uh, last week we talked about some truths from the book of Galatians. So why not talk about some truths from the book of Ephesians tonight? There's four books in the New Testament, and they seem like these four books are kind of intertwined. And I've been teaching them in our Bible college, and I'm in Colossians right now, which is the last of the four books. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. And all of them were written by the Apostle Paul. And Ephesians and Galatians both have six chapters. And then you get in Philippians and Colossians, they each have four chapters. But I'm just going to give you one truth out of each of the six chapters tonight. And do the best I can to do it in the time frame. Because there's so many things. And to be honest with you, it's really hard to pick one thing out out of these chapters. Because there's so much in there. And it's loaded. It's just a loaded material. But so anyway... The book of Ephesians uh, was written to a bunch of folks in a place called Ephesus. And anyway, that's biblical areas and, and is written to people in Ephesus in 64 A.D. by the Apostle Paul. And it's just a great book in the Bible. And the theme of the book of Ephesians is heavenly places. Heavenly places. And the Bible says that if you're saved, you're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. That's something to be excited about. We'll be glad. We're seated in heavenly places with him. And so I'm thankful for that. And anyway, Ephesians is also what they call a prison epistle. And what that means is that Paul was in prison when he was writing this. Here's a guy that was preaching, and every time he preached, they took him out and they beat him or they stoned him or they whipped him and, or they put him in prison. And now they've got him in prison simply because he's a Christian. Instead of sitting, sitting in there and saying, woe is me and crying and writing letters home to mama, he's writing letters to the churches and trying to encourage people. I think, man, that's a great testimony in itself right there. And so here he is, and, and he's writing this book to other believers to show them that they're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus and they're to walk worthy of Christ. And here they, he is in prison. He said, I might be in prison, but really I'm seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. We've got something better to look forward to. And our reward is out of this world. And it ought to be exciting to the Christian. Now notice some things. Ephesians chapter 1, let's see the first thing tonight. Go all the way down in verse number 12 and 13. And in verse 12, he says that we should be the, to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Now if you've trusted in Christ, he's about to tell you something. In whom, also, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And that's what we're trusting, is the gospel. We heard it. We've heard it preached and taught. In whom also, after that ye believed, look at this, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. That's what I want to talk about. And so I'll say the first truth we're going to get out of Ephesians is that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit of a promise. We ought to be thankful for the sealing power of the Lord and the Spirit of God. I heard people, they say, well, when I got saved, I got, I got, you know, I spoke in tongues and I got spiritually glued to the floor and I got slain in the Spirit. And, all. and, I, and the guy asked me, he's telling me, that, he said, well, what happened to you when you got saved? I said, I was sealed into the day of redemption is what happened to me. I didn't experience those things. I was, I was um, sealed unto the day of redemption. And that's what the Bible says. Look in Ephesians 4, since we're here. And Ephesians 4 and verse 30 says the same thing again. 
And it says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. I'm thankful to be sealed unto the day of redemption. Brother Leon Harvey said that was long enough for him. And that's long enough for me too. You make it to the day of redemption, you've got it made. And you're sealed into the day of redemption. And it's a shame because the average Christian has no idea that they've been sealed. The average Christian goes through life worried every moment whether they're going to make it to heaven or not. And the truth is you're not going to make it. He made it for you. And he sealed you into the day of redemption, which ought to be exciting. Now you think about that word sealed. The word sealed means confirmed. It means closed. And so we had a confirmation. A lot of people say, well, we had a confirmation. A lot of churches, they say, when they're 12 years old, they have a confirmation. That's not in the Bible. Now, they get that because Christ was 12 years old when he went into the temple. But he went in there and he was, man, he was, <laughs> he was handling the professors in there. It's a whole different story. But... A lot of people get that, and they, and they think, well, you can only be saved when you're 12 years old. That's when you get saved. Well, I wasn't 12. I was just before I was 9. How many of you got saved when you was not 12? Raise your hand. Well, my goodness, well, what a mess you're in, if that's the case. You don't, that has not, that's not in the Bible. You say, when does a person get saved? When the Lord shows you that you're a sinner and that you have a need of salvation. That's when you get saved. It might be the age of 8, it might be the age of 10, it might be the age of 12, it might be the age of 20 or 30, whatever it might be. But when the Lord shows you that, you need to trust Christ as your Savior. And then when you trust Christ, you're confirmed. Now hold your place because we're coming back to Ephesians, but look to your left in 1 Corinthians. Just a little ways to your left, not very far, chapter 1. And so since the word sealed means confirmed... That's exciting things as far as I'm concerned. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I taught on this subject in Mexico. Was that last week? The week before, I can't remember now. The week before, I guess it was. thing kind of runs together. And I taught on this subject for Brother Dwayne's here, I don't know. Three hours, maybe? I don't even know. You say, oh, my goodness. Don't worry. We're not letting the Crispitos get cold tonight. <laughs> we'll be back here before they get cold. But we'll be out when the kids are out. We're not in Mexico. Amen. And, you know, you have to have an interpreter in Mexico. It's kind of like when you preach in Chicago. And so, same thing. You go to another country. And I'll be preaching up there, Lord willing, next week. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7. So that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm, there it is, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to confirm you unto the end. You say, how did he do it? He sealed you until the day of redemption by the Holy Spirit of promise. That's what being sealed is. You say, when did you get sealed and confirmed? The moment I trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. Right then. That's when I got sealed and confirmed. There's a guy, Bald Knob, that I was um, a good guy down there. He used to work for my dad. And when I worked there, too, for many years, his name was Dale Lawson. He passed away, and I noticed they're having his funeral. And I was wanting to get to go, but I can't, I'm not going to be able to make it with the 
times and stuff, but anyway, it's the way it works out sometimes. It's tomorrow afternoon, as a matter of fact, and he's around 70, and Dale was a really good guy. And people say, well, it's really sad that he passed away, and it might be sad, but Dale's in heaven right now. And the reason that he's in heaven is because he knows the Lord is his Savior. And it was Dale's daddy, Raymond, Brother Raymond, that started, when, when the Lord was dealing with me about preaching, he was, he was trying to get me to give a devotion and all kinds of stuff. And I said, I'm not doing any of that. And I thought, how in the world did he know? But he didn't know the Lord was using him to try to get after me in any way, in a good way. But he came from a good family, good people. But anyway, he was sealed into the day of redemption and sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. And that's what happens when a person trusts Christ their Savior. And not only that, turn back to John chapter 14. Hold Ephesians because we're going to work out of Ephesians all night. John chapter 14. John chapter 14 and verse 16. When the Lord Jesus Christ was here on earth, he told us, and he told his disciples rather, and we get to read about it, but he told his disciples this very truth. He said, when I leave, I'm going to send a comforter. And the, the comforter is the spirit of promise. Notice, and that's what we're reading about in the book of Ephesians. Christ's prophecy is fulfilled. John chapter 14, verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. Now that tells me that Christ is the comforter. And so when it says another comforter, it's not speaking of him, but speaking of his spirit. A lot of times people say, well, the spirit of God's the comforter, so is Christ. He clearly says, I shall give you another comforter, indicating he's the comforter too. That he may abide with you for how long? Forever. Sounds like somebody's been sealed to me. Even the spirit of truth. He defines who the comforter is. And the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you. He said, you people, he said, he's with you. And future tense shall be in you. That was after the cross. And after the cross, the work of the Holy Spirit worked differently. And then he dwells inside of you. That's what happens when a person gets saved. And so we ought to be thankful that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That's something that we ought to know. And people say, well, that, that sounds like a Baptist doctrine. No, sir, it's a Bible doctrine. No matter what Baptists teach, we don't, we don't even worry about what Baptists teach. Makes me no difference. I'm going with the Bible. And just because Baptists, most Baptists, not all Baptists teach that, doesn't make them right. It's what the Bible says what makes you right. All right, now, now let's look at the second thing. The second truth we're going to find in the book of Ephesians. Notice chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to see that salvation is clearly by grace through faith. Some of the greatest verses of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace are ye saved. How? Through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. So the Bible clearly tells us that salvation is by grace through faith. The word grace simply means an un, or the unmerited favor of God. Unmerited, undeserved. The unmerited favor of God. Now let's just be honest tonight. 
Every one of us deserves to die and go to hell. You say, oh, I don't. Oh, yeah, you do. And so do I. I'm not saying just you, every one of us. There's nobody left out of that equation. And I mean every preacher, every pope, every priest, every church member, every Sunday school teacher, every deacon, every person that's ever been born outside of the Lord Jesus Christ deserves to die and go to hell. But by grace, you don't have to go. And that's what grace is. Grace is God giving you something that you've not earned and that you don't deserve. And then mercy is God not giving you something that you do deserve. By God's mercy, we don't have to go to hell. We deserve it, but God's been merciful to us. And we ought to be thankful that He's merciful. Now, there's an old acronym. And they say that grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. And that's really what it is. God's given us something. He's given us His riches but it's at Christ's expense. It's not at our expense. In other words, he's the one that paid for everything. He's the one that supplied everything. And if it wasn't for him, nobody's going to heaven. Salvation is clearly by grace through faith. You say, how do you know that? It says so right there. For by grace are you saved through faith. That's how. And that not of yourselves, look at this. It is the gift of God. The Bible tells me that salvation is a gift. You don't pay for a gift. Gifts are free. I like gifts. Don't you like gifts? Christmas time's right around the corner. That's exciting. And when you have little kids, it's really exciting. Because, I mean, they're wanting to tear open paper and wrappers and from Christmas presents. And then they want to help you with yours. And you want to let them help you because it's more exciting for them than it is you. At that point, you know, and that's fun. And so anyway, it's good. But a gift, you don't say, well, I appreciate that Christmas present. How much do I owe you? <laughs> you don't pay anything for it. It's a gift is what it is. And if you ever had to pay for it, then it ceases to be a gift. It's no longer a gift. It's something that you purchased. And so it's a gift for us. It has been purchased, but it's been purchased by somebody else. When you receive a gift, somebody else purchased the gift and gave it to you. Well, when you receive the gift of salvation, somebody else purchased that gift and gave it to you. You say, who purchased it? The Lord purchased it. You say, when did he purchase it? At Calvary, when he died on the cross. He died on the cross for our sins and purchased us and gave us a free gift. I'm thankful for that. I'm glad that he did. Take your Bible and go to Romans chapter 6. We'll look at a couple of references on that. I think we got a little bit of time. Romans 6. I probably had to move in just a moment. But Romans 6, one of the great verses in the New Testament on this subject. Many people use it when they use the Roman road. But Romans chapter 6 and verse number 23. Verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, what is it? is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The gift of God. It's eternal life. That's the kind of gift I'm talking about. Now, you've never got a better gift than that gift. That's as good as it gets right there. The Bible, I'm not going to turn there for sake of time, but in James chapter 1 and verse 17, it tells us that every good gift cometh from above. If it's a good gift, it came from up there. 
And so we ought to thank God for it. You say, well, my Christmas gifts are good gifts. Well, when's the last time you thank God for them then? Every good gift comes from above. God's been good to us. But the greatest gift is salvation. No doubt about it. And not only that, we find something else about this, that salvation is clearly by grace through faith. And since it's a gift, the Bible clearly says it's not of works. And so it tells us that in Ephesians 2 and verse 9, not of works, lest any man should boast. And what that means is if a person could work their way to heaven, they could brag about being, getting salvation. Now, we can still brag about being saved in the sense that we can brag on the Lord for what he did for us. But we can't brag and say, look what I did. <laughs> look at me. Buddy, I done made it. You didn't make nothing. We were making a mess of things, what we was doing. It's only by the grace of God that we're going to heaven. And we better not forget that. Not of works. You didn't do anything, and I didn't do anything. It's that cross right there. He's the one that did it all. And so he ought to be the one that we talk about. Ought to be thankful because of the free gift of salvation. I had a guy here a while back was talking to me. It's a different religion. He said, well, he said, I know what you Baptists believe in, but he said, even faith is a work. I go, have you ever read Ephesians 2, 8, and 9? He goes, why, sure. Even a faith is a work. I said, but it says, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works. I said, that doesn't even make sense what you're saying. How could faith be a work when it says it's not of works? <laughs> I don't get it. Do you get it? You say, what happened? He can't read, apparently. <laughs> So I read it to him. Maybe he can hear. <laughs> Not of works, lest any man should boast. If you could work your way to heaven, you could brag about what you've done. But since we can't work our way to heaven, we brag about what he's done. That's the difference. Now, I've said this before. I've said it many, many times, years and years and years. We are saved by works. You say, hold on just a minute. You said we're not. Okay. We're saved by his works. Not by our works, but by his works that he did at Calvary. And so that's the only works that count. It's what he did for you. And he's the one that did the work, not us. And so we ought to thank God for what he's given us. All right, one place, Romans chapter 4 to your left. And you can write down Titus chapter 3 verse 5, but I don't have time to turn that one. Romans chapter 4. What a great verse over here. Romans chapter 4 verse 5. But to him that worketh not. Sounds like a person that's not working. But believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. His faith is counted for righteousness. Not the person doing works, but a person that believes. The faith is what's counted for righteousness, not your works. Not the person working, but a person that's believing. Salvation is very clear in the Bible. It's by grace through faith. Now I'll turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. There's so many things in here. There's no way we could teach this book. This is not even an attempt to do so. It's just picking one thing out of each chapter. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 21. Unto him be glory 
in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Christ is to receive glory in the church. You say, well, that sounds simple. It sounds simple, but there's a lot of churches that don't practice it. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of churches that practice just the opposite. They like to give glory to everybody but Christ. And that's not the right way. Now turn over. We're coming back. Remember that. Turn to your right to the book of Colossians. Two books to your right. Chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And check this out. Colossians chapter 1. Speaking of Christ. So it's talking about here. Colossians 1 verse 18. And he is the head of the body. Well, if the church is the body, he's the head. The church. He's the head of the body, the church. Who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead? Well, I know who that's talking about. He was raised from the dead and the first one to ever come up and never die again. Why? Look at this. That in all things he might have the preeminence. The word preeminence means superiority. So well, there's nobody better than anybody here. Oh, yeah, there's one. <laughs> there's one. And he's way better. It's Christ. He's superior. You get in the um, Catholic Church and they talk about Mother Superior, none, and she's the. No, it's Christ the superior. He's the preeminence. That's what the word means, superior. He's the only one that's superior. We're all in the same boat. Nobody in here is any better than anybody else except for one, and that's Christ. He's better than everybody. He's the only person to ever live and never sin. And you better be glad he didn't, too, because if he had sinned one time, he couldn't have saved you. It took a perfect sacrifice. And he is the only perfect sacrifice. And since he is, he ought to have the preeminence. But you get in a lot of churches looking third John. That's right getting over there by Revelation. Go to the maps and hang a left, you'll get Revelation and back that way. You'll be in third John before you know it. Revelation, Jude, then third John. Little bitty book, one little chapter. And Paul spoke of another guy in the Bible at a church here. That love to have the preeminence. And wouldn't that be a terrible thing to be said about any of us? When the Bible clearly says that Christ is to have the preeminence. 3 John verse 9. I wrote unto the church. But Diotrephes. That's a man's name. Who loveth to have the preeminence among them. Receiveth us not. He said he likes to be superior. He wants to have the preeminence. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth, prating against us. That's talking about, about them. With malicious words, and not content therewith. Neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them, down, casteth them out of the church. He's, he said, I'll, I'll remember what he's been doing. And how he's been talking idly about us before we come. Could you imagine him? That Apostle Paul, he just thinks he's something. Or that John, rather. That John, he thinks he's something. He's an apostle. And he thinks he's something just because he walked with the Lord. Well, let me tell you something. 
He's one of the inner disciples. Matter of fact, I probably wouldn't be talking bad about John. I think he was a great man. <laughs> I think he's better than Diotrephes. Verse 11. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, like Diotrephes, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. Indicating Diotrephes never saw God. He didn't even know him. There's a guy that wanted to have the preeminence. That's how people are. People are funny like that. Oh, if you're going to be friends with them, I can't be friends with you. Listen here, Mr. or Mrs. Dodger fees. That ain't how that works. There's only one person that's superior. Young people are really that way. Big time. Big time. You get the silliness. It's, you know, you get the younger you are, the dumber you are usually. Don't worry, you grow out of that most of the time. <laughs> I'm still working on growing out of it. <laughs> that's just how it is, you know. But boy, people... Aren't people funny? Oh it's, oh, it's all about me. No, it's not about you, and it's not about the preacher either, or anybody else. It's about Christ. That's who it's about. It's about Christ. He ought to receive the glory in the church. The Bible tells us in Nehemiah, I'm not going to turn there, but in chapter 9, it speaks of the Lord, and it says that he can't be praised enough. You can't over-praise him is what it says. That must mean he must be really good. If you can't overpraise him, I mean, no matter how much you praise you give him, it's not too much. That speaks a lot about him, doesn't it? He must be something. Well, he is something. He's more than something. And man, we ought to we ought to worship him. That's what we ought to do. And that's what it's talking about. When we come together, we come here to worship our Savior. That's the purpose of coming. Say, so, well, I just came out of obligation. Well, let me tell you something. God will take care of that one of these days for you. You come because we're supposed to worship Him. That's why we come to church. Well, bless me if you can. My goodness, don't you remember where you were when He found you? You can't even thank Him for it? Boy, people get in a mess, don't they? People get thinking there's something when they're nothing. You say, who's nothing? All of us. <laughs> We're going back to dirt someday. I got bad news for you. All that work you've been doing and all that, you know, working facelifts and different things, whatever you're doing, and all those filters you put on social media, I think, that don't even look like you. Beware of, of, of a married person putting their picture on social media and filtering themselves out. What are they trying to do? Weird, man. That's right. And here, you get on there and say, you say they're shopping is what it looks like to me. I'm just telling you the way it is. So I done got into something. You say, what are we going We're going to be worm food. You say, that's crazy to say that. It's what we are. <laughs> what do you think is going to happen to you? That's your body. Don't get thinking you're too much. There's only one guy that I ever read about that came up that the worms never got to him because they didn't have time. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He got out before they even got to him. And by the way, we get to go to heaven. We're saved. What a blessing that is. And I'm thankful for that. But anyway, it's, it's all good. You know. It's all good. But thank God for it. But don't get thinking too highly of yourself. Think highly of Christ. Look at my time. I'm watching my time here. All right, Ephesians 4. I'm not going to get finished, am I? Ephesians 4, the fourth of the six truths from Ephesians. 
And say these could last, I could do a lesson on every one of these, or multiple lessons, but I'm not going to. You say, what is it? There are seven ones. You say, what in the world are you talking about? Seven ones? Well, look it with me. Ephesians 4, 4, and 5, and 6. There is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. There's seven ones. He says there's one body. You say, what's that? That's the church. You say, what is that? That's a spiritual body there. It's not talking about a local assembly, even though I'm a local assembly man. I'm a local church man. If you're not in a local church, you ought to be in a local church. If you don't belong to a local church, you're not doing right. If you're not faithful in a local church, that's not right. We ought to be in a local church. But the truth is, when a person gets saved, they're put into the body of Christ. And that's a different, totally different thing. That's where he's the head and you're the body. You're with him. We're seated in heavenly places with him. He's in heaven. And we're with him. There's one body. And then it says, and one spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. But did you know the Bible says there's all kinds of spirits? It tells you in 1 John 4 to try the spirits, plural, whether they be of God. That doesn't mean go down to the liquor store and try what they got. <laughs> That's not what it's talking about. When it says try the spirits, it means there's different spirits. Did you know the devil's got a spirit? It's evil spirit. Animals have a spirit, man has a spirit, and God has a spirit. You better try the spirits, whether they be of God. But when it says one spirit, you can mark it down. It's talking about God's spirit, the Holy Spirit. Even as you are called, and it says in one hope. You say, what's that? Our hope is the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's Titus 2.13. He is our hope. And that word hope doesn't mean we hope he's coming back. It's an expectation that he's coming back. We're looking for him. Looking for our blessed hope, the Bible says. Looking for him to come. We're expecting him to come. You say, well, what if he doesn't come when you think he ought to come? Then we'll be disappointed. But he's still coming. We don't know when he's coming, but we're expecting it. And he will be here. And then there's one Lord. One Lord, the Bible says. And when that says one Lord, it's a capital L. One time Sarah called her husband Lord with a lowercase l. And it wasn't talking about talking to him like he's God. She just spoke to him out of respect. Wasn't, she wasn't calling him God. There's no husband that's God. You ladies say amen. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but there is one Lord. And we speak out of him of a greater respect. His respect is much greater and so we're careful he's not the man upstairs he's not all he's the Lord is who he is so we're careful how we say that but the Bible says there's many lords people got all kinds of different lords but there's really only one Lord and it tells you that in 1 Corinthians 8 verse 5 and 6 then there's one faith you say what's that faith the faith that was once delivered unto the saints the faith that you get through salvation Salvation is by grace through faith. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior. And then one baptism. Did you know there's seven baptisms listed in the New Testament? Seven of them. I've got time to go through all those. There's a water baptism. There's spiritual baptism. There's fire baptism. There's Israel's baptism. There's John's baptism. There's Christ's 
baptism is talking about, talking about his death. There's Moses' baptism, all these different ones. You say, which one's that? There's no doubt in my mind which one it is. It's the spiritual one. That's the baptism you receive when you receive Christ as your Savior. That's receiving the Holy Spirit. That's what that baptism is. Receiving the Spirit of God. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. I was looking at one of those commentaries, and, and uh, it's amazing how dumb some of these people are. And uh, that ABA commentary, I thought, you couldn't get any dumber than that. And it says, this means there's only one kind of baptism. And I thought, whoever wrote that in that commentary couldn't, shouldn't be re teaching four- and five-year-olds. If you don't know there's seven baptisms in the New Testament, you've never read your Bible. You got, I don't know, they're smoking crack or what they're doing when they, when they wrote that. But, oh, there's only one kind of, what that means, there's only one kind of baptism. No, that's not what it means. It means there's one baptism. There, you know there's only one kind of spirit baptism? There's only one kind of water baptism, and it's by immersion. There's only one kind of fire baptism. There's only one kind of, and you go through all those, there's only one kind. Which one's this one talking about? Well, since it's talking about the body and the spirit and the hope and the faith, I can roll that out really quickly. It's got to be talking about the spirit because the spirit puts you in the body. The spirit goes along with the faith and the spirit gives you hope. All that. No doubt that's what it is. Then he says, one God. Now, a lot of people don't know that one, do they? One God. There's not more. People say, serve the God of your choice. Well, that's simple. There's only one. Allah's not a God. He's not even real. You say, oh, he's real. Show him to me. I've never seen him. They got the little half moon on top of the, the mosque because Allah's the moon God. Well, my God created the moon. Big difference right there. One God. Take your Bible and turn with me to Isaiah. We'll have to close over here. Isaiah. I'm not going to get the last two. Tonight, we don't have to get them next time. To be continued. Isaiah chapter 43. Look at a couple references here. Isaiah chapter 43. Oh, that's a good one. Verse 10. You're my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed. Neither shall there be after me. I, even I am the Lord. Beside me there is no Savior. Well, the Bible says Christ is your Savior. He must be that God then. Hmm. How about that? Isaiah 44. Verse 6. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last, like you read in Revelation 1 about Christ. And beside me, there is no God. Man, that's plain, isn't it? Isaiah um, 45, verse 6. 
that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. Well, I'm going to take his word for it. Then down in verse 21, Tell ye, and bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together, who hath declared this from ancient time, who hath told it from that time. Have not I the Lord? And there is no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. If you believe in my God, you've got to believe he's the only one. And if there's another one, he said, I know not any. Well, if he doesn't know of any, then I can't know of any. Because if there was others, he would know about them. There's one God, and he's the God of the universe, the creator. He's the God of heaven, and he's the God of the Bible, and the God that wrote the Bible. All right, we'll stop.